Welcome to the Dangerous Women Collective podcast. My name is Samantha Losey and I am the co-founder of the Dangerous Women Collective, a cohort of fabulous, talented, dangerous women created with the ambition of bringing women together to help and empower one another however they can. On today's episode, we are chatting with work and careers features writer for the Financial Times, Emma Jacobs. Emma's journalism has explored everything from quiet quitting to forced fun, neurodiversity, the four-day week, and intergenerational working. She's also had the very great pleasure of interviewing the women putting strong female characters on the screen, including Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Happy Valley's creator, Sally Wainwright. Welcome to the Dangerous Women Collective podcast. I am so excited to have Emma here with me in the studio. Um, I will let you introduce yourself because you always do it so much better than I ever can. Please tell us who you are, what you do and a little bit about yourself. So I'm Emma Jacobs. I'm a features writer at the FT and I focus on work and the workplace. Amazing. Um, we met before, actually, didn't we? Because we were talking we about four day week. Yes. So that's one of the kind of things that I focus on is experiments with work. Perfect. And do you, um, you must do, or are there a lot of stories that are quite gendered focusing on work? Is that something that comes up an awful lot in what you write? Yeah, there's a lot of issues and they, <laughs> a lot of issues and they haven't really changed that much. There's mm. quite a few on young women like reading the FT because they like to find out about career structures and opportunities. So there's kind of how to navigate your way as a young woman and also just general sexism and harassment stories. Yeah, oh my goodness, all the good stuff. <laughs> Those kind of things. All the good stuff. That's so interesting. I didn't realise that, does it, so in the younger audience for the FT, does it skew towards females? No. No. <laughs> That's but, good. That, that makes that me is happy one that I wouldn't interest. have it. That is one of the kind of gateway drugs, I guess, for younger yeah. women to read the FT. That's really interesting. I suppose there's something in, in that as well as, as a woman, if you say you read the FT, there's something intrinsically about the FT that is so um, kind of male in its persona and in its position in the world. In terms of how, you know, you help kind of younger women navigate a workplace and the kind of things that, you, that you've written about, what what are the most, you know, what what is the best advice? What are the best things that women can do to, to navigate? What is a deeply complicated professional landscape and you say the problems haven't really changed what what are those core problems that you still see and write about now well I guess there's more women uh doing better early in their careers and I guess that they reach a sort of point often around kids where it becomes sort of stuck yes uh and it's not just that kids are necessarily a problem but (laughs) I mean they're a delight obviously but the the kind of uh but that kind of age group as well it's not just the fact of having kids there's yeah. a kind of point where it tails off I think some of the kind of measures yeah absolutely success. and it, it get you get to that point as well don't you where it's sort of I was I was having a conversation in the room just next door actually uh, with a, a chap and he sort of said you know I've got 10 years left and then I'll be 65 and then I'm pretty much done in the eyes of the world and I was thinking god I think that's like 20 years more than most women get. (laughs) It's really difficult. I mean, I've been writing a lot, uh, not a lot, but uh, I've been pitched a lot actually about the menopause because it's suddenly become quite a big issue. Yeah, it's the topic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it's really difficult because uh, there's this sort of fact that kind of gets bandied around that women kind of fall out of the workplace when they have their menopause as if it's only brain fog that's doing that. But actually... 
you know, it's it's all sorts of preconceptions. Oh my goodness. And, and also, you know, that affect men as well, that they're aging and that maybe they don't want to be as ambitious. But for a lot of women, especially ones who have had kids, 50s is or 40s, late 40s, mid 40s is a time where they want to ramp up their career again. 100%. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I remember when my mother, my mother always said that her best decade was 40 to 50 and she was just on fire. She was completely on fire professionally. She really like knocked it out of the park. Uh, She did really well 50 to 62. Don't worry, mommy. But, uh, you know, she really talks about how it was like she had come into a whole different zone of herself and she started going through the mental was not until she was in her I guess late 50s but it was almost as though that that act of like having had children having gone through it a little bit having come back into working she was she was differently ambitious differently focused differently capable of achieving things in a way that she hadn't been with pre-children I guess and I think that especially now where there's a lot of pressure to kind of close the gender pay gap and kind of give women, younger women promotions that a lot of older women in this kind of time feel that well, I've, I haven't had this opportunity. Yeah. You know, that there's a kind of, I think there is a bit of intergenerational tension. That's so interesting there because we, we so our next uh, Dangerous Women event is um, about intergenerational networking. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say my next because by the time you listen to this, we might have already done it. So um, our, one of our uh, Dangerous <laughs> Women's Collective events is about intergenerational networking um, and how there is that tension. And also for a lot of women, there's like not that natural instinct to necessarily help one another either up or down in terms of age and it seems like men are just much better at doing that than we are I think that they do there is a kind of or what I've observed is there's a kind of you remind me of a young version of me <laughs> and uh come and hang out with me and I'll give you opportunities which is very frustrating for a for women yes a hundred percent that's so interesting I think there is the case but but I always think as well you know with women we are so engineered by society to you know we go into a room of senior men and there's one other woman in the room and you're really you're taught to focus on that one woman and to see that one woman as your competition and to see that one woman as the person in the room who you need to worry about as opposed to the 12 other balding white men that are in the room that it's like probably we could band together and really knock these guys out actually but instead socially we have been you know kind of preconditioned to focus on one another in that way uh I don't really I mean I don't feel that myself a lot that's so good (laughs) a lot of my networks I guess informal networks are female friends yeah so I don't I don't really feel that but I do I do sometimes watch younger women apologies to everyone else in this room no not at all (laughs) but I do sometimes watch and just think that there's like I'm kind of in awe of their ambition and uh, and I think it is, I mean, I wrote a piece that was kind of taken down as, I mean, it wasn't literally taken down, but it was kind of, <laughs> the comments underneath were a bit that I was being ageist and Interesting. And, and it was more that there's kind of preconceptions both ways. The older women like me, can feel uh, kind of resentful that younger women are getting lots of opportunities that we didn't necessarily have. You know, I see it all the time in my own industry. And 
And that's not really a very nice attitude. There's no progress if I'm stymieing someone else's rise. Yeah, no. But at the same time, you know, there's sometimes, which is just a kind of callowness of you, dare I say it, which is that younger people have invented this solution or they've kind of found this cure that nobody else before them had ever thought of. And so that can be kind of miss communication or sort of abutting against each other yeah no for sure and I think that it's it's an interesting thing isn't it because I always feel like every woman that came before me really paved the way and I always think that you know we have each of us to a certain degree greater or lesser experienced some kind of sexism or some kind of um being feeling constricted um in our professional careers whether it be related to sex or not but that everyone who came before me particularly women really paved the way and that they must have had a harder time than I've had of it just by the very nature of getting to where they got to and I'm always very grateful to all of the women that have come before me Um, and that's why it slightly frustrates me a little bit when I think maybe the the intergenerational connectivity is not as strong with women as it is with men. Yeah. And then men are much better at kind of, you know, really capitalizing on that sort of networking among generations and, and helping each other. And oh, my brother's, you know, un- uncle's dog walker's son needs a job. Have you got one? Oh, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> and that's always the way it goes. <laughs> It does. It does seem that way sometimes. Yeah, no, definitely. But you mentioned that you kind of you see a younger generation of writer, maybe kind of a female writer having more opportunities than than necessarily were open to you when you when you kind of started your career. That makes total sense to me. And I presume that a lot of that is to do with how much people are now watching for the kind of the diversity and inclusion components and how many kind of quotas have to be hit as much as anything. I think so. I mean, every organisation has their own way of yeah. kind of closing the the definitely the pay gap because that's something that they're measured on. But also just they want to be visibly doing something, even if it's window dressing, you've got to kind of fill some of these slots so that it looks like they're doing well. Yeah. So there's a kind of much more uh, kind of formal promotion process, you know, it, even if it's not kind of trickling through to other opportunities for other people. At, at least there's some sort of visible promotions going on that people are getting or yeah. kind of being nurtured for success in a way that maybe their predecessors weren't. Yes, that's a really interesting thing, nurtured for success, isn't it? I think, you know, historically men have been nurtured for success. They've been bred for success, basically, where women have been sort of bred for breeding in a lot of ways. <laughs> and then left, you know, the success part has kind of come because they've pushed through and they've, you know, made it happen, which is so impressive. Do you think that we, with this kind of this new generation and, and the, the very interesting attitudes that different women have towards you know having babies and and all of the things that come with that do you think that 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 there's a massive kind of step change and shift in the way that the generation that comes beyond them will be able to enter the workforce and have a much more level playing field uh I think so I mean I guess that there's you know the idea of not having children or not having to think about it is seems more natural I guess <laughs> kind of like it's yeah. not an expectation that you have to have children uh I think that um I think that even progressive industries like the media is always kind of portrayed as progressive 
but it's quite old fashioned. I think it's quite old fashioned, <laughs> honestly. All yeah. these sort of things, uh, the arts as well, I think is quite old fashioned. Sometimes I sometimes I'm struck by some of the kind of stuffier reputation like professional services or kind of big corporate entities have much more progressive paths than these much more kind of informal, you know, friendly atmosphere like yeah. media or you must get it in PR as well, that there's much, the structures are much looser. Yes. And kind of that's meant to be more informal and more yeah. friendly, but actually... It's actually highly traditionalist. It can hours, be very... Anyway, it, yeah. It can be very kind of uh, difficult to navigate because, you know, it's not transparent. There are, you know, people get opportunities that you don't know how that's just happened. Yeah. <laughs> like you thought yeah. you were doing the same thing and then they've just been given this thing that you didn't know was on offer yeah so I see I I guess those kind of things but also I think men want those things they want to have kids and be part of their kids lives and especially I do I do think the pandemic has made a difference to men's expectations of being involved in their families yes that has I have done a bit of reporting on companies that are kind of pushing back or kind of feeling this kind of shift from men as well. You wrote um, an article around kind of um, fitness being a feminist issue, (laughs) um, a play on one of my favourite reads when I was about 15. um, (laughs) And um, which for everybody else is fat is a feminist issue, which is a great book. Um, what did you find when you were kind of researching that article? Well, I think that I think it came out of some data that was about women's exercise habits. Yes, yeah. Was it that women were finding that they were embarrassed that their kind of exercise had gone not so well during the pandemic? And uh, I yes. found that actually during the pandemic, I became a lot fitter. <laughs> uh, I mean, if yeah, if everyone could see me now, they could <laughs> I just put, I put more, it was because, because of homeschooling and because of work was full on, uh, I write about work. Yeah. And so obviously the workplace was changing quite a lot. So it was quite busy. My partner was, is the university lecturer and he was teaching from home. So it was a lot going on and it got to the end of the day where I realized I'd just been sat on my backside the whole day and, you know, and it was sending me kind of mental and, here, <laughs> and all of us and so my partner was like you've got to do some exercise and at first it was just like I'm gonna go up and down the stairs uh you know for 10 minutes and um I did that and it was it was really boring and <laughs> and so uh and so then I did like millions of other people I did the couch to 5k yes and and in a way it was partly to get my son out as well and just kind of break the kind of day up and so we did that together I'd hated running I was a very bad runner I hate running it's terrible and I I always taste blood and I don't know why (laughs) it's so strange but I just couldn't believe that at the end of these few weeks that you'd end up doing a half an hour straight running so I did we did it together. That's and so impressive. I'm so <laughs> impressed. And then he, his whinging was doing my head in. And so he stopped doing it and did something else. And so I carried on and I, ca- and I found that actually I was really enjoying it. And so I've carried on past, you know, as the world's opened up and 
and the other week I did my first half marathon, which oh, was kind wow. of a big change oh for me. Oh, my God. So having been not Jesus. a couch potato my entire life, but... But we have very sedentary jobs. Yes, you know that yes. that goes a long way. Yes. People, you know, it, it's 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 not a job where you even move. You literally, <laughs> it's not a job where you even really move to the kitchen half not the really. time. You can just be there, and then you look up, and suddenly the entire day has passed, Definitely. and you've not moved an inch. <laughs> so it just kind of so that I kind of and also it was talking to you. So that that was kind of a big changing point. Also, it just made me think about all the reasons that I wasn't doing it. Partly laziness, so I don't want to blame anyone else. But the um, partly embarrassment because, uh, you know, you've got a fixed idea of what... What you're supposed to look woman like when you, when you is meant to look like. right? Yeah, absolutely. And so they're kind of, you know, if they're not skinny, they're at least kind of buff too. Yeah. And they so look great in their Lululemon. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And so that wasn't me. And then, but also like... Talking to people, there was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of stories about how men and women were treating work, working from home and what the kind of different stresses were Mm. during the pandemic, especially those with kids that were kind of trying to, they're often quite gendered. And so, you know, there were a lot of women that were taking on a lot more childcare and um, you can see it. Even, I think the New York Times did quite a good East, where they just photographed the men's working spaces where they all had a private room and the women that some of them working in the bathroom and you know and it was just kind of really obvious and and there was a woman that I was talking to um for one of these kind of pieces and she said you know I just noticed how my husband was much better at kind of carving out time for himself you know in a way that, that she'd never they'd never sat down next to each other and kind of a seen their working days before and it made her realize that she hadn't put herself as a priority I mean it's such a cliche to kind of say you know and I just lost myself but uh but it was also also the idea that you know there was so many the way that me time or kind of you know rejuvenation time for women is kind of often pampering time and it's beautification time or it is you know, have a bath, which also happens to be at home. So, you know, the children can be asleep in one room and you can be relaxing, whereas the men will have these much more outward activities. Yeah, they're they allowed to golf. Go, go they're out allowed and to do drink stuff. out with exactly. people, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And it just seemed so kind of belittling. And I just thought, you know, this is mad. I'm going to make sure that I carve time. My time is all important, you know, is as important as my partner, no disrespect to him. No, <laughs> no, no he's very good at carving out time for himself. So, why do you think that is? That do you think? Do you think it's just to do with the fact that as women, we usually have a great many pulls on our time, and so we're very used to having to kind of, you know, divide up the load of what we do with our time much more uh, adeptly, shall we say, than necessarily men who aren't having to divide up as many things with their time. Do you think it's that? Do you think it's to do with the fact that we just have more pulls on our time and so we are more used to accommodating other people's kind of needs and wants and that's why men are so much better at sort of going, no, no, this is my time. And we go, oh, no, but I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And and, and you can have this time too. And do you think it's to do with that? Or did you see something else? Was there more to it than that? Uh, I think that um, I think if my partner listened to this, he would be 
kind of horrified on one level because he does so much more cleaning and cooking. Good, amazing, um, so, amazing. So the idea that I'm just self-sacrificing the whole time would be would no, be for sure. would be wrong. Uh, I think that I think that there's just there's just this idea of kind of selfish. It's selfish to carve out time for yourself yeah. or kind of you know or just that you're much more available I just felt like you know uh you know the way that I don't want to bring everything back to kids but the way that kids are kind of react so that they will bother you know this, these are studies that show it that they are much more likely to bother the mum than yes. the dad so you get your time interrupted the whole day it was happening during homeschooling even if I wasn't the one in the room you know it was just like it would just happen so your kind of concentration can be hard you can be broken up and you're just much more available yeah yeah and and I thought it was really interesting as well that you kind of talked about self-care and the way that women have been sort of sold self-care lately. And it feels like, I don't know why, but in my head, I feel like Galaxy Chocolate created <laughs> this for them. Because you you know those ads that were just so ridiculous <laughs> where it was like, you know, oh, she finally gets time by herself and the music is soft and the, the filter is high. And, you know, and she's just like, oh, you know, <laughs> popping her Galaxy and it's like... Like, of course, that's self-care, um, even though arguably speaking now in the modern context of self-care, we'd be like, no, no, don't eat that sugar. Yeah. Um, or have a vegan burger instead. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting the way that you sort of pulled together this idea about almost like little women self-care in a way. And I wondered what you thought about the fact that so much of it seems to be affiliated with how women look as well, right? Like a lot of self-care seems to be about take time for yourself. And obviously, yes, have a have a hot bath. It's not so much about how you look because I usually come out looking like a lobster. <laughs> but, you know... Yeah, do a face mask, do a this, do a that. And it's very fixated on how you look. I mean, even I wrote a piece recently on the kind of monetization of the menopause market. Yeah, well. So there's a lot of self-care is is also translated into looking good. There's yeah. a lot of products that are kind of, I mean, obviously your skin changes and these sort of things, hair texture and so on as well, you know, as well as other things going on in your body. But, you know, it's still the idea that, you know, you, that, that this stage of life is still another consumer time, you know, that, you know, obviously uh, HLT or other kind of uh, pharmaceutical uh, products or prescription charges or something, that's, that's sort of slight different issue. Yeah, yeah. But this kind of, you know, there's so many companies that are being set up with this wellness menopause wellness retreats you know that at every fact every stage of your life you can be sold a new product to kind of take care of yourself and make yourself look good and you know I think that part of this is the kind of you know the kind of women anti-aging thing Mm. but also just that self-care is about still looking good or yeah 
Yeah. It is, and it and it, it's it sort of seems to be fixated on that for women because nobody really cares what men look like sort of slobbing around the golf course. You know, they're allowed to be as tubby as they like and all of these things. And yes, okay, we're in a different world now where everyone's a fitness guru and I totally get that. And there are a, a you know, generation of manorexics who are completely fascinated by their own bodies and all of this stuff. But broadly speaking, men have never been the object of the female gaze in the way that that women have been the object of the male gaze yeah, totally. and so you know us and how we look it, it, we were really given our whole identity based on that for centuries and so it seems interesting that now the self-care market is kind of fixating in on that but try, maybe it's a good thing though in terms of like trying to own it trying to own the conversation around how you look we had a phenomenal body positivity coach on um and she you know kind of talked about how comfort in yourself and and owning the conversation for your own body was really important and obviously you sort of had that experience a little bit with your fitness and kind of claiming your fitness a bit well it's uh i mean it's a work in progress (laughs) i think i think because i grew up with the idea that you know thin is good and uh, oh and we all did as well i think didn't we like there's never gonna go no so it's it's just an extraordinary thing that um you know the it is about the thinner you are and that for women is kind of I don't know. It's an interesting thing with women and weight, isn't it? Especially as I often look at the kind of like Amal Clooney's and, you know, Kate Middleton's of the world, whatever we're supposed to call her. Sorry, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, and think effectively these are, you know, like bright, capable women, Amal Clooney especially. And yet it's it feels like everything comes down to what she wore and how thin she was that day. Well, they are very thin women. Very thin women. <laughs> very, very thin women. And 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 thank God for it, right? Because would they be allowed to be Mrs. George Clooney if they weren't very thin? Definitely not. No, exactly. <laughs> the world would shake. Um, but do you think that the conversation has kind of moved on? Do you think that, obviously, you know, we had this phenomenal body positivity coach and, and it's such a different conversation now in so many ways. And I'm kind of baffled by it because it's just not where, where I grew up. I grew up where it was literally like, be as thin as you possibly can and you might be okay. Um, and now women are sort of claiming, you know, their bodies and their, but it feels like even that, even that role of body positivity, it's like, if you get it a bit wrong, you get, chastised as well if you're you know if you're not the right type of body positivity or you're you know or potentially people say oh it's you know it's supporting an unhealthy lifestyle even that can't just be left alone to be women trying to reclaim their bodies yeah there's always a judgment I mean I find it hard to I mean there's no way I can forget what the calorie counts of various foods are so you can tell me how body positive to be but you know uh, but also you know one of my objectives of getting fitter was losing weight and I and people and it is quite interesting I mean I haven't lost loads of weight but it's kind of interesting to see how people react Mm. you know I think lots of people have said this you know that they can't say you look slimmer or they just uh, say you look good right oh you look so good you look so rested yeah exactly and it's just (laughs) sort of uh it's just kind of I think it's still disordering our thinking like there's too many layers to navigate or um you know I don't I don't know what I think of 
healthy at any size. I'm not sure. I don't know what I think. <laughs> I kind of worry about the messages it sends out as well. Yeah, it's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's like, arguably, there are two extremes of the healthy at any size where actually you're really not healthy. But I think that it's so difficult because intrinsically women feel like they're always being judged for being too big. And and I know that there are women who have judged for being too small, but that is a much, much smaller portion mm-hmm. of the women in the world who kind of feel like, oh, I'm always being told I'm too thin. I think, oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> if someone told me you look like you need to eat something, I think I'd cry for a week with joy. But, uh, you know, there is an unhealthy end of on on both ends of the spectrum, but arguably the one end is just not fixated on in the way that the other end is. The one end is kind of glorified and, and, oh, don't they look amazing? And you could see all their ribs and, you know, Kim Kardashian lost all this weight to get the Marilyn Monroe dress and all of this stuff. And then there's the unhealthy end where it seems to also get a huge amount of abuse online, particularly from men, which I find is extraordinary. We had this, you know, uh, an influencer in here and she was talking about how the most abuse she gets online is from men talking about like her body and and how she is in her body. And, and she's obviously very confident in her body, but not conventionally thin and it just blows my mind that people a have the time b have the inclination and c would you know think that that was an acceptable behavior it's a different world yeah i mean it's the idea that you can comment on somebody's body a woman's body uh, who gave anybody the right to do that with anybody? You know, it's a pretty much the, the vestige of my mother. And she's like, you know, even then I'm like, oh, do you have, do you, is it necessary? Do you have to? Yes, I look a little fat this week. Thank you. Um, so I wonder what your sort of thoughts are on, you know, networking and your best advice in terms of how to you know, how to navigate what is a really complicated landscape. Journalism, the media is a deeply male dominated industry. And I, I think traditionalist in many ways. And I wonder what your best advice would be, what you would tell yourself, you know, at starting out in your career now that you've learned to help you navigate. Uh, I think I'm really bad at networking actually. So I kind of, I'm not sure. I think I, uh, I don't, I don't go out that much. I mean, I do <laughs> make it sound really sad. The, uh, I don't actually see my friends enough. So okay. <laughs> the last thing I want yeah, to do no, is spend an evening yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a load of people that might be good for my career. I think that there's, um, so I should probably do more of that myself. Uh, but I do think that I often, we often get younger people that are men and women that are doing work experience or very short stints and then they'll come and have a chat with you and I, and I say, look, uh, p- please feel free to keep in touch or, you know, just ask advice or just, and they never do. And it kind of really surprises me because... I think either they think that I'm not important enough or (laughs) they think I don't want to waste their time or, but I guess what I think is that actually with PR and media and other industries like Mm. that, the sector is so fluid that, you know, especially in journalism, people end up anywhere. You can't say that it's on a kind of upward trajectory because 
media organisations don't really work like that unless you're the editor or the deputy editor there's no clear pathway no you sort of go like this don't you there's a lot of the mic (laughs) there's a lot of different ways to go and so kind of keeping in touch with people and just just sort of having people that you can talk to and have cups of tea with doesn't need to be after work drinks you know you don't have to necessarily go to all these things I think is quite is quite important so I think kind of and also and also don't really be a pest I (laughs) don't so that kind of on the flip side is like you know be a bit humble even if you have to fake it a bit because because I can't tell you the amount of people that talk to me about themselves and you just think you know I'm I'm not in an this isn't you know I'm not interviewing you I literally don't (laughs) care about you you could leave this room and I'll never see you again and it's not going to make my life any worse just you know just act interested ask be curious don't just sort of like talk about yourself I I am slightly surprised by people that do that I guess do you think that's a male prerogative or do you think it goes both ways no (laughs) no it's both ways equal opportunities (laughs) equal opportunities (laughs) on being egocentric fair enough I just think just uh yeah just kind of you know and also just kind of be curious also so I've got a mentee that I had a few years ago and we're kind of in touch like the kind of mentoring program finished and we're in touch and she emailed me the other day and she's really nice and kind of uh and really good and um she I'm more than happy to kind of introduce her to people where you know if it works I I think I think being introduced to people is really is not no big deal unless you've got somebody who's crazily insecure and thinks that every email address is some sort of like loss of their own, you know, then why not be generous and oh, kind of totally. give people introductions? Seems really weird. Yeah, oh, completely. And I think that's one of the things that the collective is very much designed for is, you know, introduce people, spread the network, help other women to help each other because men are so good at it men have had this old boys club forever and are so good at doing it and I think that we need to be a little bit more front-footed about the introductions and feeling positive about it because there can be a sort of almost apologetic you know oh I I just needed this one thing from you or I just wanted if you could help me with this one thing and actually it's like no just show up and be like do you think you could help me with this? And yeah. that's so much more straightforward. Well, and if you're the person that thinks, no, I don't want to give this contact away, then just think, you know, what what is your career built on that it's so kind of you're so insecure about giving yeah. one access to someone else? Very true. In terms of we always um, kind of come back to um, a guest story of sort of sexism or experience of sexism or someone around them, but it's usually the oh my gosh story. Um, sometimes not that, that um, oh my gosh, uh, but 
I, I often tell the story of how I was told once when I was sitting across from a, a, an elder lawyer who I had been sent to see um, for advice on my career because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I just left Oxford and I was kind of confused and I was like, oh, goodness. And I got sent to see this lovely old lawyer. And he said to me after about 15 minutes, you know, you should use your feminine wiles more. You'll get further. And I was just blown away like I didn't he wasn't being you know he wasn't harassing me in any way he was a lovely old lawyer and he was being very charming but I had come from a world where my father told me the girls could do absolutely anything and I was very very lucky about that and I was like this is the first time I've ever had this very traditional male kind of antiquated view of the fact that as a female of 21 at the time, you know, I should make myself softer and more adaptable. And that was how I was going to get further. And I should understand that quickly because otherwise I was going to, I was going to atrophy myself if I didn't quickly make myself softer in the way that women should be. And it was just one of those like, oh my gosh, moments. And I wonder if you have had one of those. Uh, I've had quite a few, (laughs) kind of. uh, I mean, I've had a very obvious one, which was harassment in a former uh, former workplace where uh, somebody just sent me these kind of harassing emails the whole time. Oh my goodness. uh, They were all kind of comments on what I looked like and how kind of attractive I I was younger. And it was, and I just, and I guess I was advised by women not to say anything and uh and it was so and I kept saying could you not send them and this person would say yes I'm I won't send them I promise I won't send them anymore <sighs> and then and then it didn't make any difference and then the uh and I just felt very because at that time I was in my 20s and they said and the women were like just don't make draw attention to yourself mm. uh you know and so and so I spoke to my mum who, because um, I was kind of going mad, and I said, and my mum's an illustrator, so not the same business at all, but, you know, she thought she was so used, she used to work in advertising when she was younger, mm-hmm. and she was so used to bad behaviour. Like she told this story about when she went, went on a date, this was a kind of social setting, so not work at all. And she was sitting with a man, her boyfriend, and on the other side of her was this man and he started putting his hand up her leg and she told her boyfriend and he, and he just said, um, do you want to swap seats? So it was no like, you know, and we'll just... Oh so, my goodness. So that was the kind of, you know, that was the kind of expectation in a way. That was like so the she, baseline. Yeah, so she yeah. was like... Oh, uh, you know, I mean, could be worse. So I kind of felt like, uh, you know, everyone's like, don't make right, a fuss. don't make a fuss. Yeah. And everyone, uh, and everyone kind of, so that was the kind of message I was getting. And I just thought, and she feels really bad. To, I mean, I won't tell her that I've done this. So she feels really bad <laughs> so, for saying it. But I, in the end, I just kind of lost the plot and went to see somebody about it, uh, uh, kind of a supervisor at this place. And he was like, this is clearly harassment and put an end to it. And actually, but it had been going on for long enough that I just felt very like it did have an effect, even though this mm. person was completely pathetic. Yeah. Uh, it was still violating it you, was right? It was a like, violation It was of just your... don't, don't do it. It was disgusting. It was kind of like, you know, it was so inappropriate. and uh, And so I just kind of felt like, you shouldn't, you know, 
But it did have it. It did have an effect longer term than I thought, which I didn't really realize until all the kind of Me Too stuff came out. And it was sort of like that you make yourself a bit smaller so mm. that you don't draw attention to yourself. And and I and you know, obviously, I'm not the only person this has happened to. I've spoken to loads of friends who this has happened to in different industries. And so it is this kind of the effect is to make yourself smaller or kind of take yourself out of the equation in some way. But I mean, there's been loads of other, you know, loads of other sort of sexism things where people are given opportunities that you're not given and you just think... Where men are given those opportunities and you just think, what do I have to do? Like, I just, am I not speaking the same language as you? Yeah. (laughs) What is it, uh, you know, what is it that I'm doing wrong? And I once said to somebody, uh, you know, I just don't get it. And they were like, well, could you think about ways of improving yourself? And I just just (sighs) went, in the end, I was just like, do you know what? Could you think of ways of improving the whole system that I'm operating in instead of making it my fault? A hundred percent. It was just sort of, but there are lots of, there's a lot of kind of benign sexism. I think it's kind of benevolent sexism where their people are not being horrible and they don't mean anything bad by it, but it's kind of assumptions or sort of self-limiting, limiting yeah. assumptions yeah. that kind of mean that people don't get the same opportunities. Or, you know, they get moved to jobs that no one had ever heard of or, mm. you know, uh, there's just a lot more that could be done in the media industry and in lots of other industries that mm. is very informal that could be changed yeah I think it is often brought back to women isn't it I I was talking to a member of the collective the other day and her daughter had been told in her review that she she did too much that she was too on top of things and she could she do less and could she um you know like could she effectively make her male colleagues look less bad by stopping by outperforming <laughs> them effectively and she didn't get the promotion and he got the promotion and she was effectively told do less nice. which is the same as being told be more effectively because it all comes back to well if you could just make yourself a little bit more this or a little bit less this or a little bit round this way or a little bit square that way and it's never oh, but maybe the system that doesn't know how to help you is broken or maybe, and maybe, and you know, we obviously we're in a conversation now where that is much more the case, where it is about changing the system. But still, there is this notion of we need to do something. We need to change ourselves. We need to make something kind of, you know, different. And that's sort of where the collective came from in a way was, okay, let's just change the system because it's broken. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, Emma, where can our listeners find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter too much. Uh, oh, amazing. <laughs> What's your handle? <laughs> Emma VJ and on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Emma, for chatting with us today. It has been an absolutely delightful conversation and I am thrilled to have been able to open the door a little bit on what is a very male-dominated world and sphere and also talk about fitness as a feminist issue. For anyone who hasn't read Fat is a Feminist Issue, you really, really must. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Dangerous Women podcast. To learn more, find us on Instagram, LinkedIn or at dangerouswomencollective.com.